All right, well, today we are concluding our series on Titus, and this is a letter, as we unpack what this really is, it's not just some old book in the Bible, but if you look at it from, for what it is, it is a letter to this Greek pastor, Christian pastor, and it's full of instruction and direction and some expectations of people that are part of who, he, who is under him. And Titus chapter 1, just kind of recap a little bit, Titus chapter 1 was all about taking care of business. So when I wrote that title, I was thinking of the song, Taking Care of Business. So, but that's really what Paul wanted him to get down to doing. He was to lead good and to teach good and to live good. And if my English confuses you with my poor grammar, <laughs> go back and listen to June 4th sermon. And maybe it'll make a little bit more sense. In Titus 2, we discovered that everyone in the body of believers, everyone has a role to play. Everyone has a role to play. And uh, we discovered that we are to encourage and urge one another on in the faith, to encourage each other to love our families and, and to encourage each other in integrity. And these are things, these things honor God and they build up the body of Christ. And Paul ends chapter two with this command, encourage and rebuke with all authority. Do not let anyone despise you. Speaking this directly to Titus. And so that leads into chapter three of Titus. Uh, Paul really wanted to get this point across about authority. The place that Titus was in was surely not an easy one, but it was the role that he was given and there he served. Let's look at chapter three of the book of Titus. Verse one, remind the people to be subject to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready to do whatever is good, to slander no one, to be peaceable and considerate, and to show true humility toward all men. At one time, we too were foolish, disobedient, deceived and enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures, We lived in malice and envy, being hated and hating one another. But when the kindness and love of God our Savior appeared, he saved us, not because of righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ our Savior. So that having eternal, sorry, so that having been justified by his grace, we might become heirs, having the hope of eternal life. This is a trustworthy saying. And I want you to stress these things so that those who have trusted in God may be careful to devote themselves to doing what is good. These things are excellent and profitable for everyone. But avoid foolish controversies and genealogies and arguments and quarrels about the law because these are unprofitable and useless. Warn a divisive person once, then warn him a second time. After that, have nothing to do with him. You may be sure that such a man is warped and sinful. He is self-condemned. As soon as I send Artemis and Tychicus to you, do your best to come to me at Nicopolis, because I've decided to winter there. 
Do everything you can to help Zenos the lawyer and Apollos on their way and see that they have everything they need. Our people must learn to devote themselves to doing what is good in order that they may provide for daily necessities and not live unproductive lives. Everyone with me sends you greetings. Greet those who love us in the faith. In the faith. Grace be with you all. I'd say you could hear a pin drop, but whatever that was is what we all heard anyway. <laughs> all right, so chapter three. Not the longest of books, uh, chapters in the Bible, but definitely 15 verses deep. So let's talk about chapter three. Uh, this, is, this last chapter starts with instructions concerning authority. Usually we kind of shy away from this word. We don't like it. We cringe. Uh, or if we have some sort of authority, we're like, uh, we feel like we're the bad guy or something like that. It makes sense that he's starting off with this authority. Again, as in the previous two chapters, you've got Titus fighting a challenge to his own authority. And that challenge is rooted in wrong teaching that adds extra salvation steps to some people, Gentiles. And we talked about that a few weeks back. You also have a clear profile in those chapters of what leaders in the church in Crete should look like. And then in the second chapter, Paul goes, uh, Paul goes on uh, group by group describing each group's role in the work and life of the body of believers, how one group can lead and guide and teach another. And ultimately, each of these groups relate back to an authority of some sort. In the previous chapter, it points back to Titus's role in teaching them to do the things. Then they, in turn, do the things and they teach. And he does, at the end of chapter 2, it's a little bit taboo now. I kind of pointed that out a couple weeks ago when we talked about this one. But Paul spells it out clearly this relationship, and he even speaks of slaves and masters. He says, teaching slaves to, in verse 9 and 10, to be subject to their masters in everything, to try to please them, not to talk back to them, and not to steal from them, but to show that they can be fully trusted so that in every way they will make the teaching about God our Savior attractive. And so into this, Paul speaks one more word concerning the right relationship or righteousness in, if you will, relationship to authority. Righteousness in, authority, in relation to authority. Verse one, remind the people. So just right after he finishes this verse, remind the people to be subject to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready to do whatever is good. The same word subject that's used here in verse one is the same one that's used previously to describe the relationship between a wife and her husband and also a slave and their master. Paul is saying to be subject now, in this context, is actually a word that belongs to all believers. There is some form of to be subject to rulers and authorities. This is, this is the bedrock of this, and he can't, under, he can't shy away from it because it seemed to be one of the things that Titus was fighting so hard and Paul was encouraging him to do so against. Our respect for authority is directly tied to something we know as witness. But when you think about witness, it's not just, can I get a witness up in here, that kind of a thing. Uh, it's like, 
court witness. Like, are you going to say truthful things on the stand and you're, you're under oath to do so? But every day, every part of our life is on the witness stand. And so what he gets specific about right next to this verse is this part that obedience to authorities is to not slander. Well, we may consider debating what slander actually means. Oh, what do you mean by slander? Well, it could mean this. It could mean a lot of things. And just water it down. No, 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 no. We have these fancy things called dictionaries. They certainly help us understand the English language on our side of things. And a, a, to slander is, or slander is a false and defamatory oral statement about a person. Simply put, a false and defamatory oral statement about a person. Saying something you know is untrue or later is discovered that it's untrue and said statement is primarily used to defame another. Slandering has an impact on the person that is doing the slandering and then also those they slander. You see, if if it's me, if I slander someone, I become, well, of course, a slanderer. That shouldn't be a surprise, right? That's not something that's to be pursued or enjoyed, but it is the result of slandering. It's not a good thing. If I slander, check this out, I either have poor judgment. Oh man, I really should have said that, but I said it anyway. I have poor judgment or I have malicious intent. Man, they had it coming, what I said about them. They're terrible. And let me tell you all the things that they're terrible about. You know, I, you know what slander sounds like. You don't need too many examples. Slander usually focuses on the intentional fate, false charges, which bring another's reputation low. In the process of damaging another's reputation, I define my own reputation. It's a reputation as a destroyer and a liar. Someone who bears false witness. There's that word again, witness. And then what does it do to others? Well, the target's reputation can be tarnished. The damage can be severe. And even if the accusations are found to be baseless or proved to be untrue, guess what? The damage is done. Got a couple examples for you. Heard of a person named Johnny Depp? Heard of a person named U.S. Supreme Court Justice Brett Kavanaugh? Yeah, it's important to be honest and truthful. For when you have a reputation that is honest, people would think twice before doubting the gospel message you bring. That's why it's important not to slander. You slander, talk falsely about other people. No one can take what you say about Jesus for true. And that's what Paul's writing to teach next because he dives into the gospel message in verses three through seven. He's always teaching. He makes sure that the message of the gospel is clear and concise, that Titus relays the core of the gospel to his people there. And what we have in these verses in three through seven, almost like summary statements, right, of non-negotiables. These things are not up for debate. These are the core of what it means of salvation, the gospel. If we do uh, budge on these areas, we cease to be Christian. We begin moving to the fringes and finding fringe things more important and more exciting 
than core Christian beliefs that have been taught and held since the disciples first trekked around with Jesus. So, in verses 3 through 7, Paul structures the gospel, the salvation message, so that it can be easily understood and easily related to. I've got a summary there in your bulletin, but basically, we lived a selfish, foolish, sinful life. We are sinners. You know, that's a summary statement. To go in depth, he says, we hated and envied others. And then here's God. God saved us with his kindness, his love, because of his mercy. Saved us his love because of his mercy. And the Holy Spirit generously poured out, was poured out through Jesus Christ. And by his grace, by God's grace, we become heirs. Thinking back on this again, we're lost in sin. God saved us. We're adopted into his family at that point. We are children of God. A Christian's personal journey might echo the structure. If you've ever heard of a testimony coming to Christ, <clears throat> might sound like this. Before Christ, here's how I lived. When Christ came into my life, this is what it looked like, and here's where I am now. Faithful Christian teaching cannot shy away from this. This is the story. This is the experience. This is the journey that we're all on. But where a person is on this timeline will vary, whether they're staying in that dark place or they're edging closer towards accepting Christ's gift of salvation or they're all in and they're living for Christ. They're on this, this journey together and helping someone understand where they're at, introducing them to their fresh start in Jesus Christ is what we're all about here. So this is believing rightly. This is the gospel message. It's important to understand being in right relationship to it. But believing rightly isn't enough. It's important, but we've got to be able to live it out. James says in James 2.17, So also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. And so we move to gospel living. Gospel living. Not just gospel teaching, the gospel message, but gospel living. Uh, There's this fancy word in college, this class that I had to take called praxis. And I had no clue what it was. I think I figured it out halfway through the semester. And all it means is practical application of whatever it is you're learning. So you can believe in math, but if you don't practically apply it in your life, in a situation, it's not practical. Praxis of faith, we've got these belief statements. How is it that we can practically live them out? It's the the call to action at the end of every sermon, pretty much, for the most part. When people are like, well, you want to do this, this, or this, or maybe the Holy Spirit's leading you to do that. Paul finishes off this chapter, this this end of the, the letter to Titus, by giving him a couple practical examples of how he can live out this gospel and how his people can live out this gospel that he's just summarized and presented. And that's what praxis is. I mean, to even emphasize it just a little bit more, uh, you might have read people's fluffy resumes before. Maybe you've fluffed your own resume with 
with terms and expressions like, uh, I strive to provide excellent customer service. Have you ever heard that one before? What does that mean? What do you mean by that? You could ask. But if you can't give practical examples of how you can execute that belief, it doesn't mean much. It's just a set of buzzwords on your resume. And so Paul gives him these two examples of how he can live out, how they can live out the aforementioned beliefs. Grace and discernment, that's one. And then help with generosity. These two categories, grace and discernment, help with generosity. So grace and discernment, it's very interesting because you might think this is a disciplinary process, but it's actually a gracious, gracious process. Versus, verse 10, warn a decisive person once, then warn them a second time. After that, have nothing to do with them. It's gracious. When somebody <laughs> is a divisive person and you don't just instantly dismiss them and cut them out of your life, it might hurt a little bit to keep them there. But warning them a second time, giving them another chance. And then he says, after that, have nothing to do with them. You see, Titus has authority and he's enlisted others to serve in areas of authority. He must be firm and he must be concise. There's only so much of him. And there's only so much time. Wasting time on time wasters also does not advance the kingdom. That's why Paul just talked about what's the most important pieces of the gospel. It's those verses we just read, summarizing it perfectly. Here's how we live it out. So giving a practical example, if someone were to oppose any part of that previous presentation from gospel, of the gospel by Paul, maybe they say, oh, I've never sinned. I've never hated anyone. I'm perfect. Well, that would be an opportunity for you to graciously warn them. You could actually point out a place where they haven't done that or help them discover one. If they persist, give them another warning. And after that, Paul says, have nothing to do with them. They are not going to be helpful in advancing the message of the gospel while fighting against its core tenets. So important. So we graciously give a person a chance to change, but we may eventually have to shake the dust off and move on. Grace and discernment. But what about this other application? Help with generosity. Something the Christian church is known for is its generosity and helpfulness to the needy. Practical application of the gospel message is actually supporting others in their pursuit of spreading that. That's what he is showing here at the end of this. You've got ministers like Apollos and Zenos who need to travel around and do the things that they're doing for the church. And Paul specifically says this, he says, do whatever you can to help Zenos the lawyer and Apollos on their way and see that they have everything they need. Um, Apollos pops out to me. It doesn't come up in scripture all that much. Uh, mostly like Greek mythology, uh, Apollo in that regard. But if you... If it sounded familiar to you when you heard the word Apollos, most likely it is the same Apollos that we find in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Verses 4 through 5, I'll read it for us right here. For when one says, I follow Paul, and another, I follow Apollos, are you not mere human beings? What, after all, is Apollos? 
And what is Paul? Only servants through whom you came to believe, as the Lord has assigned to each his task. So, Apollos, most likely the same guy there, another leader in the church. And then Zenus the warrior. It's a very interesting, the warrior. I almost said <laughs> Zenus the lawyer, not warrior. Uh, it's an interesting title to have, of course. And Apollos was with Zenus. Most likely these two guys were Greek. Their names kind of give that away, which would mean that they were converts to Christianity and now leaders and missionaries that Paul is urging Titus to teach others to support them in their ministry. Paul resumes his directions about helping others in spreading the good news. Verse 14, our people must learn to devote themselves to doing what is good in order to provide for urgent needs and not live unproductive lives. Practically applying the gospel to our lives will mean that we need to provide for the needs of others. Paul even specifies and says urgent needs. It doesn't mean that people are always dependent on us. But as Christians, we have margin or devoting ourselves to what is good in order to be able to provide for those urgent needs something extra. Do we really need that other thing? Or is that there's something that I can hold on to that to help somebody else that I don't know about yet? I mean, I don't know if you've ever had spare money and then somebody else came up with a need and you were able to meet it. That's pretty amazing. But I think more often than not, we might come to certain services and conferences and things of that nature. And I forget my wallet. I forget bringing any cash or checkbook or something like that. I don't stop to think, oh, they're going to take an offering and this would help the whatever. Um, Missionary presentations are big on that. Like they need money in order just to go to the other church because they're self-supporting. Those are some clear examples of what this might look like today. I mean, twice a year, our church uh, collects alabaster offering. Some churches have special offerings every single month for missions and education. We've had opportunities to give when we go to special services, missionary presentations, assemblies, conferences, and community worship services. But if we don't plan and we don't show up with a little extra or or as I was rereading this, I was like, or sacrifice. That's a lot of the giving is sacrificial. Doesn't mean you can't plan to have margin because you could just go ahead and spend that on whatever you want. You didn't need it to survive. Paul says, Titus, our people need to learn so they can help others and so that they're not unproductive. And then in verse 15, he concludes, everyone with me sends you greetings. Greet those who love us in the faith. Grace be with you all. And as Paul signs off this letter, we do as well. I want to share a short letter from a family member of a dear friend of ours. And some of you, it's already been spoiled. (laughs) But they say, Dear Pastor Angel and church family, my dad, Byron, is currently staying at the Meadows Assisted Living Facility in Spring Green, They include his address, and I've made copies of the address for you if you want to write him a note, and I can share his phone number if you'd like to contact him. It says he continues to do very well. Memory sometimes challenges him. Otherwise, we're thankful he still gets around quite well. And then she signs Kathy and gives us some more information. It never ceases to amaze the people who 
God has chosen to put in our lives and has put in our lives, the other way around, connected us with, uh, and how much they mean. I reconnected this last week with a former student um, through the YouVersion Bible app, and it was amazing to read his reflection on a scripture through that app. And uh, I was able to comment on his, uh, his note that he made on the scripture uh, concerning growing up a, as a church kid and what that means to actually owning your own relationship with God and working out your salvation and faith and all of these things. And it was wonderful to hear that these friends of ours that we haven't seen in almost you know, five years uh, still miss us. And it's nice to hear and also see the exciting things that God is still and is now doing, continuing to do in their church there and serving through them. But it's an encouragement to hear from friends. Uh, it's been a wonderful summer so far to have our, having several special guest families coming, coming uh, on any given Sunday. And it's encouraging to hear and to see what God has done through you being faithful to him us being faithful to the core of the gospel message. It impacts people's lives and they impact ours. And Byron's just one of those who've ministered here through this church in the role that God gave him. You and I, as we interact with authorities in our life, we need to be aware of our witness, making sure that we are believing and living out the right things. Not just thinking the right teachings and the right things, but also living it out practically. How does one do this? Well, staying connected with Jesus and the body of believers, your fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. And we help guide and direct and new opportunities for discernment and grace, new opportunities for generosity come all the time and we need to be open to them and ready to leave, to live productive lives. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much. Thank you for calling us to you. Thank you for the love that you have given each and one, every one of us and the generations that have come after us, the people that were adjacent connected to that, that because of our faithfulness, they have been drawn to you. And we thank you for that today. And just as this, these churches in Crete, we're trying to pursue you. We're trying to know how it is that we live this faith out and trying to understand the core of it. And never gave up on meeting together, I forgave up on following after you. And I pray this day that we would continue to do the same, that we would build each other up. We would look for opportunities to be gracious to one another, to discern, to be generous, and to leave openings so that we can be even more generous, Lord. We pray in these days in times and topics that could divide us, that you would draw us together in love and understanding and at the core of what it really means to be a Christian. 
We love you this day, and we ask that you would go with us now and bless our week. May we not leave your presence, but recognize that you are with us wherever we go. Holy Spirit, we pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. You're dismissed. Go in peace.